1: Or call 562 314 4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 13 Days of Halloween is a production of iHeartRadio, Blumhouse Television, and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. Headphones recommended, listener discretion advised.
2: Hello, friends. How was your morning? Did you dream last night? I can tell by your face that you did. You'll find it difficult to hide anything from me. It's the micro-expressions. Mostly. Come! Quite excited to show you this feature of the manor. This is the door to the North Tower. Now, a warning. Keep your wits about you. What you see and hear will likely be confounding trap door in the floor. A winding stair that carries you hundreds of feet upward to another small trap door. Underwhelming, yes? You were expecting something mind-bending. Well, here's the best part. (laughs) Take note. When I open the trap door in the floor, the door in the ceiling likewise opens. And if we shout into it... My dear friend! Do you see, my dear friend? This door below us somehow opens into the ceiling above us. And vice versa. An impossibility made possible by the genius of the architect. A chamber of endless echo. A famous poet from Nova Scotia was once a guest. And after hours climbing up and down, being driven nearly to madness, swearing that his own voice must be that of another man mocking him, wrote a poem about the uncanny experience. It became quite popular. Yesterday upon the stair I met a man who wasn't there. He wasn't there again today. Oh, how I wish he'd go away. Of course, there was no other on the stair. (laughs) The poet was terrified of nothing more than his own reflection. An occurrence more common than comfort would allow. Oh, well. Shall we? Ah, look who it is. Nathaniel, be a dear and tell my friend here about your journey. Be wary of this one. He's a little off, even for this place. Likely his room's proximity to the tower. You'll be fine. Just follow along until I return. Now, fellows, I must run to remove the birds from the belfry. They make such a mess of the stonework. I shall make short work of them and return post-haste.
3: He calls you friend. Huh. My name is Nathaniel. Or at least it was once. Please, join me. I had set out for a sharp October stroll. I wanted the bracing air and the ripening colors all around. Nothing more than that. I was young then. My wife had stayed behind in the cottage where we were presently boarding. She was too burdened by the fullness of our first child to join me in the wood. We were far from home, but close to family, a necessity for the birth. I became lost so quickly as I meandered through the wood a roof of clouds encroached upon then devoured the remaining sun. And behind it, a creeping blanket of mist. All sense of time reduced to the crunching, dead leaves beneath my boots and a low panic in my chest. I attempted to retrace my steps and failed. At some point, I emerged onto the road. It wasn't so much a road as it was a tunnel of trees, but I blessed it all the same. The path was hard-packed, wide enough for a coach, and I made my way along it, telling myself of a refuge was not far off. The moon cast blue slivers through the foliage and fog. I pictured the haze of gaslight, almost hearing a wash of voices from a pub that was surely drawing nearer, for roads have destinations, they lead to towns and to people and to warmth. Instead, the first true curve of the path brought into view a hearse waiting beside the rope. The tall, spoked wheels appeared undamaged. Speckles of moonlight revealed a set of red curtains drawn closed inside the rear door. As I gazed upon this curiously placed hearse, grateful for the glimpse of civilization. From inside came a heavy wooden fund. Then something within produced a terrible sound. The fog somehow began to thicken, narrowing my focus on this now undulating black box. Then the rear door burst open, and out from it crawled what appeared to be an old woman she emerged with hair hung over her face like a wet gray veil. She drew herself to the ground on all fours, limbs bent like a spider. Her body was terribly withered and thin, but it was too long. In the darkness, I couldn't make out if she was naked or if all that skin was instead some many-jointed fabric trailing after her. Her head turned to regard me from within that shroud of hair, and then she slipped around the hearse and passed into the wall of trees, a white blur guttering into the black like a candle. I stood there paralyzed, contemplating what I had witnessed questioning all I had previously believed about this natural world and its possibilities until I glimpsed something small and white on the ground where one of her hands had rested. I was drawn to it, a scrap of paper so rich that it was more akin to cloth bearing a strange symbol in rusty ink, a shaky horizontal line with three circles joined at the right end like a clover laid on its side i tucked it in my suit coat pocket remembering my dear wife and our soon to be child i gathered all remaining courage and set off down the road past that godforsaken hearse on i trudged with purpose beyond my own to be with them again i would have to first survive the night when the trees withdrew at last and the structure rose up under a crowd of muddled black sky, I could have fallen to my knees. The building looked as though it had seen a century of the elements, and in my mind I kissed each crumbling brick. The pub I had envisioned was not in evidence, nor was any hint of a village. The building stood alone amongst the trees, and the road seemed to be swallowed back into the wood not far ahead. Somewhere beyond, Ellen waited for me. A lamp sputtered with gas on the pathway next to a signpost, missing its side, and two of the windows I could see wavered with oil light. It was civilization. It was something a road led to, and my heart swelled. The structure was equally faded inside, a once sumptuous lobby now threadbare and patched with gloom. A large dead fireplace, worn armchairs, the sense that cobwebs had been swept away only moments ago, the smell of must and neglect hung in the air. An indistinct man stood behind a scarred oak counter. As I shuffled eagerly toward him, tucking my hand into a coat pocket, I realized I had set out from our cottage without purse or money. I could only produce... That inscrutable note the woman in the hearse had dropped. At the sight of it, the clerk said, Very good, sir. You are most welcome to stay the night. I'm terribly sorry, but it is urgent I contact my wife. Is a telegram possible? Tomorrow, certainly. It's gone midnight now. No luggage, I see. He pressed a key into my hand. A cumbersome brass rod with a bow formed by three circles touching one another. Room 12, sir. Up two flights and to the left. It is easy to blame my fatigue, the ache in my legs, my burning eyes. I scarcely recall feeling any hunger then, though I had not eaten in many hours. But nothing seemed so untoward that I could not wait out the night indoors, away from those trees and that creature now haunting them i turned back once to ask about it but the man was gone the buildings landings and hallways were each hung with oil paintings of forest i stopped by one of them holding aloft the greasy lamp i had been given it was grim somehow mournful art hunched between trees a glimpse of a pale figure could be seen a small glob of white brush stroke that I would not have recognized an hour ago. A vanity mirror stood on a small table just inside number 12, then a double bed halfway between the door and the single window. A second table bore a tallow candle, and there the inventory of furnishings ended. No washstand, no chamber pot. I set the oil lamp down next to the mirror turned its flame low and lay on the bed without undressing to save my boots. The mattress was hideously uncomfortable, near as unyielding as the floor. I sent up a prayer for Ellen and our child, and I was soon asleep in spite of it all. The low light still tinted the room orange when I woke, disoriented my heart pounding with such force I could feel it in my back and in the thick red quilt beneath me. I lay waiting for the nightmare or whatever had shunted me from sleep to fade until calm, until I realized that it was not my heart knocking, but something below. Something inside the bed. I leapt across the room and twisted the lamp bright. When again I heard the knock, muffled but resounding, I reached forward and pulled the quilt toward me. It slid to the floor to reveal not a mattress, but two coffins. One nearest me shuddered as something within thumped against it. I sprang for the door. It was locked. I fumbled for the key, but there was no keyhole on this side. I hammered against the frame, but my efforts were to no avail. This was no rooming house. It was a holding cell. But what was it keeping enclosed? I turned back to my discovery. Compelled, drawn, I approached the nearest coffin. I pulled at the lid until the rusted nails on one side gave way. Through the crack, I saw it. Inside lay the old woman from the hearse, her body folded in half due to its great length. Her limbs bent at extra joints, gray hair spilling away from her face. Her eyes shone with black gloss. She turned them towards me and smiled. I forced the lid back down and knelt upon it, praying my weight would suffice. The other coffin was more easily opened. It was not sealed with nails. It contained a man, as withered as his mate, but clearly dying a mist of dark blood stippled the pine wall with each rasping breath his eyes crept up but could not stay focused on mine I closed his lid and lay across both coffins awaiting the light of morning but morning never came that night never ended it merely has electric lights now it has elongated itself and will continue elongating. The roof of clouds that ate the sun that night never gave it back. The creature knocking to be let out kept me with her all these long years. She kept me weak and fed me in this endless dark. She let me sit at the window from which I have witnessed other strange sights. There is no keyhole on this side of the door. I withered too far, here to the end of my companionship, but finally I have found my predecessor. You seem a Hale fellow. I do not think it will help you, but take this morsel of hope while it still has a taste. I am an old, wasted thing now, but you have been called. Your arrival here means that I can sleep at last.
2: Ah, this is all so very expected, Nathaniel. I'm just going to steal my friend away now. Don't fret. I'll be back for your nightly routine. Now, I trust you've learned something new. Well, add this little morsel of knowledge to the feast. The trapdoors in the North Tower were built not as an entertainment, but as a means to an end. They were the architect's first attempt at building the Ascension Door. As a matter of fact, much of what we have discovered along the way point toward this pursuit. We have four more nights, dear friend. We must use them well. And with that, I once again take my leave. Enjoy the rest of your evening here at Hawthorne Manor, and try not to obsess over the construction of the North Tower. There will be plenty of time for that later. Adieu, mon ami.
1: Thirteen Days of Halloween was created by Matt Frederick and Alex Williams, and executive produced by Aaron Mankey, starring Keegan-Michael Key as the caretaker. Today's story was written by Michael Weehunt, performed by Ben Bolin, and directed by Matt Frederick, with editing and sound design by Trevor Young. Additional writing and script supervision from Nicholas Tikoski. Only four days remain. Tomorrow, another story.
3: They held my skeletal hand and looked at me through glassy eyes, searching for some sign of my former self in the tiny sliver of a human thing hidden underneath a heaping pile of blankets. And they cried,
2: and they mourned, and one by one,
1: they confessed... 13 Days of Halloween is a production of iHeartRadio, Blumhouse Television, and Grim & Mild from Aaron Mankey. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And learn more about 13 Days of Halloween at GrimAndMild.com.